Hey guys, welcome back. This is Morgan Segers. Thanks for coming back to the show. If you haven't yet, if you could do me a favor and subscribe, leave a review, five-star review and a worded review. That would really help me out. I am independent. I just joined Salem as a member of their team and I'm really thankful for that. But at the same time, it's still me just doing the whole shebang. So all the help really matters and really makes a difference. I would really appreciate it. Um, You guys, good, good show coming up for you because a lot's going on all kind of relating to this theme of family and policy around family this week. And so I just, I was looking at the headlines and thinking of what would be a really good way to end the week before I head to LA for a really fun shoot that I'll tell you about in a second. Uh, And I just was looking at the headlines saying, geez, these are all one similar theme and it all has to do with family with children and with what the solutions are moving forward as we are presented with different problems so i want you guys to enter this episode with an open mind take in the information that i'll share with you and then we are certainly not going to come up with answers by the end of it uh, but we will have a better understanding of a lot of the stuff that we're going to have to face moving forward in this country So I want to talk about a little story. I was just on Real America's Voice. I got asked a question about pro-family, which kind of sparked some thoughts in my mind. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what's going on with the politicalization of our courts. We are supposed to have apolitical courts in this country, especially the Supreme Court. And what do you know? We're seeing a lot of violence, a lot of threatening behavior toward the members of the Supreme Court. New Breaking news just came out of Maryland this week about stopping these more violent and aggressive forms of protest outside of the homes of the justices, especially after Brett Kavanaugh had an assassin come from California to try and kill him. Luckily, the guy turned himself in. What if he didn't, though? That's really the concern. Next thing, there's a ton of videos going around the internet right now from recent congressional hearings. I want to talk about a few of them, including one that the woman claims her abortion was self-love uh yikes and then last we need to address the international story that's going around about a 10 year old in ohio that had to cross state lines to get an abortion after being sexually assaulted um a lot of people were very confused for quite some time because not a lot of information was going around but it was making international headlines and even the president was talking about it now we have a lot more information on it and i think it's important for us to see that like many political issues this is not black and white this is not something to be politicized and used for pr and messaging this is something that we should all take to heart and evaluate all of the information available to us so that we can really move forward on something like this because it's very tragic. Um, That being said, let's get on into it. So like I kind of hinted at earlier, I want to start off by telling you guys I'm filming this and then early in the morning tomorrow, I'm driving from Arizona to... LA because I can't believe this. If you guys don't know this, I interview survivors from communist countries and try and make lesson style videos about moments in history that include survivor testimony and include firsthand experience and that storytelling element while also educating on what the heck went on back then and how it relates to current events today. One of those episodes on the Freedom Records, the show at thefreedomrecords.com that's going to be coming out soon is with a rooftop Korean 
And I am going to L.A. tomorrow because I'm getting a tour of Koreatown, where the L.A. riots took place, where the rooftop Koreans actually got on their roofs, the OGs, and protected their community when those riots broke out in 1992. I am thrilled. This is a huge, huge connection for the history of communism and the connection of those people then coming to America, militarily trained, eventually had to take up arms in their own community in America and protect their businesses, their family members from massive amounts of violence in the early 90s. Not a lot of people know about it. I can't wait. And I'm going tomorrow to get a tour this weekend. I'm so excited. So I'll report back on that. Um, Next story. Interestingly enough, (laughs) it's kind of hard for me sometimes to be on panels on the news where you just are expected to give a quick talking point. I'm not like that. I can't do that. I can't give you a black and white answer. I like to get deep into the issues and really understand what we're facing. And I'm also a cultural conservative. I believe in fundamental traditional American family values. And I I really don't like the direction of the country and especially the direction we started heading in when we started allowing the family unit to be deteriorated with fathers not taking on certain responsibilities, with mothers not taking on certain responsibilities. And then as we embraced that sexual revolution from many decades ago, it started to get normalized that, hey, let's raise boys and girls with the mentality that you could do whatever the heck you want in life. There's no differences mentally, physically, psychologically between men and women, girls and boys. And we'll tell girls just like boys to go out and seek a career as your highest level of fulfillment in life. And uh, they'll figure out the rest later. And we see, we see quite often, I have this theory that our 20s, we're all so lost right now because, well, this phase of life has never really existed before in human history. This phase of not being a child, but not having children and really just being on your own. As humans, you used to have your phase of adolescence and your coming of age period, and then you yourself would participate in the procreation process and create another generation. And you would assume adult responsibilities and begin adding to society at a much earlier age and taking on the most important tasks in life, aka creating your own family and continuing that society. And then all of a sudden, because of the massive levels of economic success and security and safety that we have, thanks to the country that we're in, thanks to the economy that we have, the economic system focused on giving people economic freedom and not government tyranny or anything like that, we've advanced as a society and as a world so much that we're able to abandon our societal and primal roles. And I know... (laughs) I know this is a lot, okay? What a way to enter the episode. Um, But I really do think that when we abandoned our primal roles as men and women that are different, we also, with that, abandoned our societal roles. And now we tell young girls, you know, maybe you don't want to hear this, you guys, but I'm going to say it. We tell young girls, don't worry. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You don't need a man. It's weird and archaic to want to only be a stay-at-home mom. You should always, in school, be figuring out where you want to go to college, pick your career path, and head on to it. And so then you have these career girls that I meet them all the time. They are 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, And well, if you haven't tried dating in the modern dating scene, it's a little rough. 
once you kind of get settled in this life that they've sold to us, you kind of go, well, this is a bit lonely. This is a bit weird. Why do, why do I feel like I'm missing something? Why do I feel so lonely? Why do I feel so sad? I personally believe that it's because this phase of life has never existed before where we're told to only focus on ourselves, focus on self-care, self-love, self-growth. And I really do think that's why we're having this feeling of emptiness all the time. It's because we shouldn't be alone at this point. We should be procreating. We should be young mothers and fathers at this stage of life. And instead, society sold two generations now on this idea that we should try out being boss babes and going to college and acting like men. Um, I would say what's fascinating to me is people start to realize once they're in the career system and once they start meeting people and once they do want to get married, like, wait, you don't have to do these things. You could just stay home or I, I could focus on growing my family. Yes, you guys, let me just say it. The most important role, especially women, the most important role you'll have in your life is creating new life and then raising up those young babies into strong and competent little humans. And then especially what helps with the masculine side of that, the father is creating strong, independent adults out of those little humans. I love that phrase of like, it's it's the mothers that raise the babies into little ones and then it's the fathers that help raise those little ones into competent adults. And that combination of different roles in the creation of a strong, competent future citizen is is a really wonderful concept to me. But a lot of people don't want to admit it that, wait, as a woman, I would actually love to have that be the priority in my life. Society is like, oh, ew, don't say that. You need to want more than that. But I'm here to tell you that it's okay to only want those things. And not only that, don't even make it seem like it's only, you know, settling for being a stay-at-home mom. No, that's some of the most important stuff you're going to do in your lifetime. Prioritizing that should always be happening. We should always be prioritizing that and the focus of family, the focus on the next generations. And then... And then if you want to create a career, if you want to do those things, if you want to have other forms of purpose and service in your life, then of course you can go ahead and do that. And thankfully, women have a lot of opportunity these days because of this flexible economy that we have. We can do things like I run a nonprofit. I do media contracts, but in my schedule, I'm able to easily incorporate focusing on family over everything because I'm able to take in that money and not go to a nine to five where I'm serving some corporate boss. Um, that's a huge conversation that I don't want to have too much of, but because I believe these things, you guys, it's a little hard for me to go and just do those kind of quick news hits where I'm asked about stuff because it's a larger conversation. And a lot of the times what I say doesn't sound very good in a one sentence news hit answer when people are really emotionally driven and they might take what I said in the wrong way, especially in these modern feminazi times. So I was on Real America's Voice and we were talking about a new headline coming out that the GOP, it wants to take a fresh look at paid family leave. Hmm. Now, this is one of those gray issues, okay? I want to start by thinking, okay, they're doing this because they want to show that they are the party of pro-family. But what does it mean to be pro-family? To me, it means we need to, from a policy and government and political lens, we need to be the side that promotes a strong economy. Because if you can't put food on the table for your family, and if you can't take care of your family, if you can't provide the basics for your family to survive and thrive, then, you know, that's really hard on American families. And so you want to be the political party that encourages economic strength for the nation. Because when we have a strong economy, 
families will thrive. But there's more to it. What does it mean to be pro-family? It means that we need to talk about healthy culture that families can thrive in. It means that we have to promote the nuclear family and be vocal about it and not let the left dominate the conversation. It means that we have to not only focus on policy, but we have to focus on culture. So kind of going into the first one, you have these groups like Black Lives Matter that openly on their website said that they want to demolish the American nuclear family structure. One thing is to be very vocal against stuff like that and to speak out about why it's so valuable to have a nuclear family. I won't go too far into it, but if you look up the statistics, maybe I'll do a whole episode on this. If you look up the statistics of what creates a strong individual, it's when they have a two-parent home or when they have two parents that are active and involved and loving and they have that masculine source of support and that feminine nurturing source of support. It's when they have both parents be loving and caring and attentive and conscious in the raising of that child. For the left to want to demolish the nuclear family structure, what they also want to see with that is the rise of government support, the creation of a paternalistic government that takes care of people, that replaces the father figure as the form of safety, security, and financial support. So it's important for us to be vocal in support of basic things like the nuclear family structure. What's also important is for us to be caring about not just policy, but culture, Like I was saying earlier, it's been normalized in politics, in pop culture, in mainstream media, in everything that young girls consume and are told to not prioritize, and young men, to not prioritize the most important fundamental primal things in life, family and children and community, and to instead seek materialistic expectations for their life, material goals, And to kind of compete in this rat race and then to expect the government and society to provide them fulfillment and happiness. So the left is anti-family, anti-child, anti-religion and God, and then expects you in some other form to find satisfaction, fulfillment and purpose. And what do you know? That leads to terrible, terrible things. So as a party and as a conservative movement, we should be talking about these things with great pride that it's okay to try and normalize these concepts again. I shouldn't have to be so hush-hush, and I'm certainly not anymore, but for a while I was quite hush-hush when I was talking to young women about like, hey, uh, have you ever thought that there's another way to do things? That perhaps we were kind of sold something that doesn't exist, and perhaps we will have to always sacrifice something. You can't have it all in the sense that they're telling us. Maybe that's the solution. And that kind of gets me to the next point. This idea that we can have it all. I personally think it's a scam. Either your career will have to take some hits, if you will. That's a little aggressive, but either you're going to have to say, I want to dedicate more time to my family, or you're going to have to say, I want to dedicate more time to my career. We've seen, if you watch any movie, usually the main character that's a kid is like, my parents never pay attention to me, and my parents never come to my sports games, and my parents never give me any love, they just give me money. It's a classic, stereotypical, modern American family dynamic that we see in pop culture in movies and all of this stuff that the parents are so focused on their career they don't give love and attention to kids that's a common theme that we watch and it's also shown in the statistics so for me i would never want to prioritize the growth of a career over my family but here's the thing some people 
are truly just, they could survive on one family income or they could at least focus more on the kids. But they are so focused on following the rat race and continuing to participate in getting more and more and more that they could have stopped and had a limit for themselves in what they want to earn or what they want to achieve and instead prioritize family and they decided not to. But there's also a lot of people, and this is where things get gray, There's also a lot of people that are single mothers, single fathers, or are not earning enough on one income and need to have both parents go to work. And that is where we end up having to have hard conversations here in America. That's where we have to end up having the conversations that aren't truly idealistic. Like in my head, I'm like, I would love to achieve a situation where every family can live off one income and live happily ever after on their homesteads and they'll have their own victory gardens and they'll provide themselves their own food and they'll grow all of the community needs all locally in one area and share them with each other (laughs) in a system of trading and bartering. (laughs) Um, I get it. That's not ideal. Okay, so when we look at this, Obviously, I look at a headline like this right now, Axios, GOP takes a fresh look at paid family leave. And I go, why are we cowtailing? Why are we transforming into the left? When I was on Real America's Voice doing this panel and I got asked about this, I'm like, oh boy, they're not going to want traditional Morgan talking point right now. I need to figure out what to say with a short amount of time. I get frustrated because the question was posed as something like, this used to be something that only the Democratic Party pushed, but now conservatives are stepping in and becoming the pro-family party. How do you feel about that, Morgan? And I'm like, "Uh, did anybody just hear that the way I heard that? Because I just heard that we are taking over Democratic Party positions and now packaging them as GOP positions. At its core, just looking at it on paper, I'm like, why would we want to incentivize women to continue to focus on career over child? Why would we want to do that as a party? But then I get it. It's convoluted. Not everybody has the privilege and the opportunity to not go to work right now. Idealistically, that'd be nice. But I understand some women have to go to work. Some families have to have both parents in the workplace. And so if we are talking about being understanding then maybe we should be focusing on being more pro-family with policy like paid family leave. So I'm not saying that I'm in favor of this at all. I am high, I want you guys to know this. I'm highly conservative, and I honestly don't think it's healthy for government programs to be incentivizing this kind of stuff. When we see the statistics, we see how damaging it is to take women out of the home and tell them that they'll be better and provide more to society and to their families by earning income rather than being there and focusing on the kids. But for the sake of this conversation about policy for paid family leave, I thought it would be interesting to look at what the Republicans are proposing versus what the Democrats are proposing. So the Axios article says Republicans are taking a renewed interest in paid family leave, traditionally a Democratic priority, in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. Okay, that's the other thing. I get that it's impractical for me to, first of all, be daydreaming as if all women want to stay at home with the family. I would like to shift the culture and inspire women to want to do so. But for the time being, we're stuck in a pickle, right? And in that case, how do we support families? Not only that, but we just overturned Roe v. Wade, baby. Huge victory for the babies, for the women, for the families. But if we are going to encourage and have abortion not be an option anymore, we need to inspire people to understand that 
as a society, we should be prioritizing the raising of our children. And to create a system where there are no solutions right now for people that might not have chosen life, but are now going to choose life because of Roe v. Wade being overturned, we should try and extend that olive branch and make it easier for them to choose life, if you ask me. So I'm willing to look at options. That's why I think this is interesting. And it's good that we're doing this, especially after Roe v. Wade being overturned. So it says why it matters. Republicans urgently want to establish themselves as pro-woman and pro-family as critics accuse the party of caring about children only before they're born. But that's such a scam, if you ask me. First of all, what is pro-woman and what is pro-family? If you ask me, it means empowering women to fulfill their natural roles, their primal and societal roles, to not lie to them about what's empowering. They tell them that things like hookup, uh, hookup culture and cheap emotionless sex and abortion are going to be empowering for them. I think that's completely anti-woman. What would be nice is if we could encourage women to be themselves, to embrace their natural instincts, and fulfill the roles that will make them happiest in life, which often have to do with family and children, and nurturing things. The big picture, the U.S. is one of only six countries that doesn't guarantee paid leave to new mothers. And of the states that have banned abortion in the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling, none have a leave policy. The Senate Minority Whip, John Thune, said we're going to have to step up and do more. I think that people are prepared to do that. Hmm. Marco Rubio, senator from Florida, said we should at least be providing as much help to women who decide to keep their child as those who decide to terminate the pregnancy. Charles Grassley, senator from Iowa, said we have to start thinking in terms of some of these things. Now that Roe has been overturned, we have to be more supportive of families and mothers. See, I, I appreciate the effort and the sentiment, and I understand that policy solutions like this are oftentimes needed or we need to look at options, and the cultural kind of changes take more time. And I'm working on the cultural ones, baby. Um, next one, how it works. Democratic proposals are typically structured as a tax-funded payment straight to workers. But Republicans have long opposed to this framework. So Republicans, you guys, proposed a few different options. One of them is to borrow from Social Security funds, but I don't really know how that's going to go. I'm not really a fan. I'm more of a fan of a different option where they are providing tax credits based on children. One of those proposals, Axios says, is Rubio's pro-family framework, which features an expansion of the child care tax credit to also include unborn children. Very interesting because you guys, having a baby and preparing for a baby is very, very expensive. If you ask me, it's asinine. And it's especially asinine looking at our current healthcare system. People can say all they want about the healthcare system and say, well, at least it's not socialist. I really don't care. I obviously don't want a socialist healthcare system, but you have to be able to acknowledge, if you want me to take you seriously, that our healthcare system is absolute crap. Okay? It's insane right now. And I'm really disappointed in previous generations of the GOP for telling us they're going to fix it and then never fixing it. But that's a different topic. If we're going to talk about more pro-family policy, with all this being said over the last 20 minutes, then you guys, I am more in favor of tax credits, lowering the amount of taxes people with children have to pay to help them because it's their money that they earned. And no one knows how to better spend their own money than an American taxpayer. The government does not spend your money as effectively or as strategically as you will. Allowing Americans to keep more of their money, I believe, is the best way to help them and be more pro-family if we do want to look at 
policy level solutions, allowing them to keep their own money, focusing on something like that, not another government payment from taxpayer slush funds that the Democrats will hand out to people one after another using other people's money. Not a fan of it. Not a fan of this government middleman that is created when we do that kind of transactional process with taxpayer dollars. Okay, let's move on. We're just going to fly through these ones, you guys. Uh, updates on the violence with SCOTUS. If you guys haven't listened to the previous episodes on this kind of stuff, I am very big on the threat that's been posed throughout history of politicizing the courts. When you politicize the courts, when they're supposed to be apolitical, bad things happen. That's not just packing the court, but it's also starting to use politicized language around the courts. And we're hearing that from the left calling our our Supreme Court right now right-wing extremists and crazy stuff like that. So the most recent story in these updates, post-Brett Kavanaugh assassination, come this one comes from Newsmax. It says, Harvard Law School lecturer Alejandra Carabella has called for the harassment of the six Supreme Court justices who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade in June. Carabello, a clinical instructor at Harvard Law School's Cyber Law Clinic, tweeted on June 25th, a day after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that the justices should be, quote, accosted. She said, quote, the six justices who overturned Roe should never know peace again. Excuse me? This is how they're teaching at Harvard Law School? She says, quote, it is our civic duty to accost them every time they are in public. They are pariahs. Since women don't have their rights, these justices should never have a peaceful moment in public again. Again, this is an instructor at Harvard Law School. You would think that people at Harvard Law School would understand the fundamental constitutional American process of apolitical courts, but I guess not. Another concerning thing is they are called pariahs. Her language is pariahs. You'll notice that whenever this kind of animal language is used against political opponents, it's usually to dehumanize them and encourage violence against them. We see this with calling people bugs or rats or parasites. Um, This reminds me of the fact that on Twitter, just a handful of days ago, I saw a pro-abortion sign where the young girls holding it, young women, they look like teenagers, uh, called babies parasites. Hmm. Interesting. So what's even worse is Twitter says that this call to accost and prevent any peace in these justices' lives was not deemed as a violation of Twitter's policies. She even boasted that by sharing a screenshot of it. But what's interesting is George Washington University Law School scholar, his name is Jonathan Turley, he called her out and he said, quote, as noted by campus reform, she is also an advocate for censorship calling for Twitter to ban the popular conservative site Libs of TikTok as a terrorist enterprise because it shows liberals talking about themselves. So this law professor who's saying justices of the Supreme Court are pariahs that shouldn't have peace in public also calls Libs of TikTok, my personal favorite social media account, a terrorist enterprise for daring to share the videos that leftists and liberals publicly consentingly posted onto the internet. That makes a lot of sense. And the next update in this story of the Supreme Court, keep in mind, you guys, an assassin just last month traveled from California to Washington, D.C. to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh. He ended up calling from Brett Kavanaugh's neighborhood, 911, turning himself in and not going through with it. The security did not catch this guy. He 
got an Uber or something. I think he got like an Uber or a taxi from the airport or whatever to Brett Kavanaugh's neighborhood, to his house, got out. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew what he was about to do. And he ended up just leaving and then calling 911 on himself. Imagine if he didn't. So on top of that, you also have tons of other protests going on outside of the justices' homes and the security concern is getting out of hand. So now I love to see this. We're seeing a little federalism play in. The federal government's not doing its job to protect the justices. Nancy Pelosi in DC was holding back, holding back resources saying, eh, they're fine. And the state of Maryland and their police and county police are stepping in. It says Montgomery County Police in Maryland are warning the public that officers will enforce laws against disturbing the peace at protests outside the home of Supreme Court justices. On Wednesday night, they released the following message. They said Montgomery County Police Department is committed to preserving the First Amendment rights of all individuals. But they said there are content-neutral Montgomery County Code and Maryland law provisions that restrict protesting and assembling in a private neighborhood as well as disturbing the police. So then, to make it super simple and clear for these crazy lefties, they sent out a whole bulleted list of all of the violations that show you cannot do this in the state of Maryland or in that county specifically, which I think is great. That being said... These people are still outside of Kavanaugh's home, but now they just aren't allowed to do crazy loud things. And so one of them recently tweeted, they had a handle at literary mouse on Twitter. She's been updating what it's like outside of Kavanaugh's home. And she says, quote, we are here at Kavanaugh's to fight for our basic right to bodily autonomy. Tonight, Montgomery County police are telling us we cannot chant drum or make any loud noise as we exercise our first amendment rights. (sighs) What a messy situation, but it is nice to see states and counties step into their roles that they really should be in and they should have been in for quite some time. But I think for a while, we almost forgot that as states, local jurisdictions and individuals, we all have a special role in the keeping of the Republic. And the left tried to trick us into thinking that it was all top down for some reason and we almost fell for it. So I'm, I'm glad to see the revival because of governors like Ron DeSantis, because of local level leaders and sheriffs. We have Sheriff Mark Lamb in Arizona who's like, listen, I'm not going to fall for this crap and I'm not going to enforce a lot of these tyrannical policies. And then you also have citizens starting to recognize that there's a way for them to stand up too. This has just been wonderful. Now, Update on what's going on on Capitol Hill regarding this post-Roe mess. We have new videos going around because you had Senate and House hearings about abortion recently. Now, the left, here's the thing, you guys. The left could have kept it super simple. All the left had to do was find some people that had compelling reasons for why they got an abortion or what they thought were compelling and passionately explain them Simply explain them in front of Congress. Try and make the case for why this should be allowed. But instead, they decided to send some of the craziest people in the country to try and make the case. And what do you know? It only made them look like lunatics, including, what do you know, people that can't define women once again. But this is like a women's rights issue if you ask them half the time. So this headline I'm looking at right now says Fox News, Twitter blasts House Democrat witness who called abortion an act of self-love. Sarah Lopez, a, quote, abortion storyteller, end quote, from the pro-abortion organization We Testify, testified on the overturning of Roe v. Wade. While defending the right to an abortion in the U.S., she also claimed that her own abortion was one of the best choices she's made in her life. 
Quote, my abortion was the best decision I ever made. It was an act of self-love. Lopez also worked as the youth program manager for the abortion provider connecting service Jane's Due Process, which suspended all services after the Supreme Court decision. Relatively smoothly, um, but what these restrictions are intended to do is try and make people, try and stop people from having abortions. But abortion is healthcare. Um, my abortion was the best decision I ever made. It was an act of self-love, and I'm here today to make sure that everybody who currently needs an abortion, who has had an abortion or will need an abortion, is not alone, no matter what the state tries to force upon us. Thank you Thank so ladies much, Ms. Now, this is interesting. There's some good comebacks that I saw. Best one, my favorite, was by Allie Beth Stuckey, the podcast host, Relatable. So regarding what the woman said, that her abortion was an act of self-love, Allie Stuckey said she's correct. She loved herself, her convenience, and her comfort so much that she was willing to kill her child for them. That's why the Bible says godless people in the end days will be, quote, lovers of self. Wow. Love that. Also, Sarah Gonzalez from The Blaze, she said Satan is laughing. And another interesting video that I'll play for you guys is the Senate Judiciary Committee had the same hearing on abortion access over on the other side of Capitol Hill. And what do you know? On Tuesday, this clip went viral. It's Senator Josh Hawley confronting witness Kyra Bridges. She is a, I kid you not, a Berkeley law professor. And she was asked, hey, why do you keep using the term people with the capacity for pregnancy instead of women. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Uh, before, uh, I, I want to visit with you, Ms. Metzke, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's, uh, it's We can it's recognize that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning. Because so we can't talk about it. Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking are you, you if you're talking are you? about women are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think. Can get <laughs> so you are denying that trans people exist. Thank and that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you, Absolutely. or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're told that to they're at opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned you, a lot. I know. This exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. So that clip, this is funny, that clip went viral because conservatives were saying, how crazy is this? And then it also went viral on liberal leftist Twitter because they were saying, huh, look at, she schooled Josh Hawley. That's a good, a good example of the political times that we're in, that both sides were like, what a smash for each of their own sides. Ay, ay, ay. Now, you guys, this is a crazy story. 
I was confused for a very long time. I've been tracking it for a while. Everything in the news these days, this week has been about family, about costs for family, about abortion, about all of these congressional testimonies that were going viral, and about this story right now of a 10-year-old that made international news after she traveled across state lines to get an abortion. Now, here's the thing. Here's the backstory. For quite some time, there was this vague story being spread by national and international news outlets, only citing one source, an abortionist from Indiana, who claimed that she had just given an abortion to a 10-year-old girl who had to travel from Ohio because she was raped in Ohio, got pregnant, and it was past six weeks, and under the new Ohio law, because Roe was overturned, she couldn't get an abortion in Ohio, it was after six weeks, she went to Indiana, got an abortion. That's all that we knew for a very long time. And it got up to a point where international media is covering it of look what's going on in America. And then the president of the United States also then talked about the story. So people were getting a little suspicious of how the heck are national media outlets not trying to look more into this story that started in a local paper and they have no other source than this one abortionist who's not only an abortion doctor provider, but also an abortion activist. And it was a little sketchy because if a child was raped, then where's the report? You cannot not report that violence against a child. That is legally required. It's a crime to not report. So things got a little messy. I'll tell you about it. Here we go. So it says a Columbus man has been charged with impregnating a 10-year-old Ohio girl who traveled to Indiana to seek an abortion, and it led to international attention. Gerson Fuentes, 27, whose last known address was an apartment on Columbus' northwest side, was arrested Tuesday after police say he confessed to raping a child on at least two occasions. He's since been charged with rape, a felony in the first degree in Ohio. Columbus police were made aware of the girl's pregnancy through a referral by Franklin County Children's Services that was made by her mother on June 22nd. On June 30th, the girl underwent a medical abortion in Indianapolis. Franklin County Municipal Court Judge Cynthia Ebner said the case did not warrant Fuentes, who is believed to be undocumented, a.k.a. an illegal immigrant, to be held without bond. Instead, the bond was set at $2 million. He's being held in Franklin County Jail. So things started to get a little suspicious because it was reaching international news without any context, without any more information than just what the statement of the original doctor was. That's when the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost went on to National Fox News and he said that his office had not heard a whisper of a report being filed with the 10-year-old victim. And that is a big no-no that there was no report. So he said, we have regular contact with prosecutors and local police and sheriffs, not a whisper anywhere. Yost doubled down in an interview with USA Today saying that the more time that was passing between this story breaking and any confirmation being made makes it more likely that this is just a fabrication. And this is the thing. Some people are criticizing him, but I think it's valid for him to go out and say, listen, I know the prosecutors in my state. I know the law enforcement officers. And what he actually says is, I know the cops and prosecutors in the state. There's not one of them that wouldn't be turning over every rock looking for this guy. And they would have charged him. They wouldn't leave him loose on the streets. I'm not saying it could not have happened. What I'm saying is there's not a damn scintilla of evidence. So I think that that's really smart of him to come out publicly and be like, listen, if this happened, the big concern here is also that my office hasn't even heard about it. So it happened in my state and there's no report being presented to me. 
Well, interestingly enough, things get even more weird in the story. The latest update in the story, I'm reading this one from Fox News. It says Ohio 10-year-old's alleged illegal immigrant rapist, 27, was listed as a minor in abortionist report to the state. It says the Guatemalan illegal immigrant charged with raping and impregnating a 10-year-old Ohio girl who traveled to Indiana for an abortion was listed as a minor in the report that the Indiana-based abortionist sent to authorities. Dr. Caitlin Bernard, that original source that I told you about, reported that the alleged rapist was approximately 17 years old in an official filing to the Indiana Department of Health. What? In reality... This was a 27-year-old Gerson Fuentes, the illegal immigrant from Guatemala, who raped a minor under 13 years old, which is a big difference. So Fuentes confessed to the crime. Here's the thing. Fuentes confessed to the crime to the police department, but then the 10-year-old's mother said that her daughter was, quote, fine, and, quote, everything they say about Gerson Fuentes is a lie. Because Telemundo went and confronted her, and she says everything they're saying about this this man who confessed to raping her daughter is a lie. What is going on here? Do you see how this is a complete mess of a story? We clearly don't know much about what actually is happening here, but it already made it up to the president who's already talking about the story. That is the American political news cycle for you. It's just an absolute complete mess. Now, what I do think is interesting, let's talk another another gray political subject, because I do think it's important for us to have these harder conversations. If we're talking about states making policy against abortion, a lot of people don't understand how many young girls actually do get raped and get pregnant. It's kind of fascinating. This girl got pregnant at nine years old, it looks like. She was apparently nine when she got impregnated and then turned 10, got an abortion, either before or after, I don't know. But now she's 10 years old. She was nine and she got pregnant. Some people thought that's not possible. Apparently, technically, it's possible. So I found a report. This is again from the dispatch, and it shows data shows frequency of reports of sexual abuse of children. An analysis of Columbus police reports filed since May 9th found 50 reports of rape or sexual abuse involving girls 15 years or younger. That number of reports may also be underreported because of restrictions on public records related to reports initiated by mandated reporters. The report involving a 10-year-old girl falls into that category. In 2020, this is fascinatingly sad, in 2020 there were 52 abortions in children 15 or younger in Ohio alone. So what just stops my heart there is that 52 girls younger than 15 had abortions. What are they doing? What are are those situations and how can we help those girls in those situations to not be victimized in such a terrible, terrible way? Data from the health department in Ohio shows that there were 63 in 2019, 54 in 2018, 61 in 2017, and 76 in 2016. Now, is this... We don't know much beyond this. Maybe I'll look into it. We don't know how many of these were non-consensual sexual interactions that led to pregnancy. How many were young girls that were so sexualized that they were just having sex? We don't really know. Either way, I don't like either of those situations because those children 
those girls are children and they shouldn't be doing that. So that is something that's really, really sad. And do I have an answer? No, just thought it was really fascinating numbers right there. Now, you guys, with that being said, sorry to end on a bad note, right? Um, but I think it's important for us, if we really care about these issues, we need to understand. We need to have context. We need to know how messy a lot of these political issues are, have the hard conversations, and hey, maybe we'll be able to find some solutions that way. Thank you for listening. I hope it was informative. And uh, with that being said, I hope you guys have a nice weekend. I'm going to head to L.A. tomorrow morning early and uh, go film in Koreatown. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm.